0: guests today are Todd Littleton and Marty Duran, and we're going to talk a bit about their personal journeys in terms of
1: are you in uh, your car
0: I am in my car yes my my office is a little loud
1: we've got a very modern
0: setup in there with like like open ceiling kind of deal
1: well you're in good company when I interviewed Robert Erickson who's like the leading scholar on the Holocaust and theology he had to go out to his car because his dog wouldn't
0: quit barking (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, except this is my podcast. So that's a little
1: Oh, that's true.
0: Yeah, that's a little embarrassing, but Have
1: you actually go outside?
0: <laughs> yeah. Todd, Marty, tell us about yourselves. And then Todd, we'll talk about first. the SEC Todd go first. A little
2: bit maybe. Um, yeah, I uh I'm a, a native of flyover country. And, uh, so I've been here in Oklahoma all my life, except for two stints in Texas, which is like an extension of Oklahoma, with uh, Texas and, uh, and I, I grew up Southern Baptist. Uh, my folks were very involved in, in church life. Uh, my dad was a deacon at the church. We lived a half a block away. So, uh, dad was pretty much a handyman. And if they needed something, he could sp- spring over and I was usually in tow. By the time I was uh, in high school, I had a key to the gym, so I could get all the guys in to play ball uh, about any time we wanted to. For ever, my mom uh, was a department director for uh, our youth uh, Sunday school department. She wor- has worked with youth for forty plus years, and uh, um, t- you know taught clinics and that, that sort of thing. So I've been involved in in uh, in the life of the church. Uh, as long as I can remember, uh, came to faith when I was uh, um, uh, uh, about nine and then probably kind of understood that a little bit better uh, as I, as I you know, grew up and, and uh, went to OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, got a degree in uh, religion, minor in history, and then went to um, Criswell College for a year uh, and uh, for the purpose of uh, taking Greek with Roy Metz. Mm. and uh, and then transferred over to Southwestern Seminary under the influence of my mentor and got my MDiv there. Went and pastored in Southwest Oklahoma for uh, about 18 months, 20 months, and moved back to Texas to uh, work on my doctoral ministry degree and uh, finished that. Uh, was out there a year and then uh, moved back here to Oklahoma, just outside the well, we probably now consider the metro but just southwest of Oklahoma City, and um, and so that's 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 kind of the sketch. It's a, it's a long odyssey, and 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 uh, we can kind of go uh, more particular down the road you want to pursue. But uh, maybe we should hear from uh, Commander Duran, and uh, <laughs> looks like he's sitting in the cockpit of uh, some stellar flight simulator. So uh, it,
1: it does, but that happens to be a ceiling fan in the background. Nothing so uh, spectacular. Uh, So I was born in L.A., uh, that's lower Alabama for those of us in the south. Uh, And then shortly after my birth, like seriously within like six months or so, maybe even shorter than that, we moved to the Atlanta area. And so I grew up south of Atlanta, uh, was saved, uh, called to preach and ordained at the same church, moved to my first pastorate when we were about when I was about 25, I guess and was in consistent pastoral ministry in all Southern Baptist churches. grew The first church that we ever attended, which started when I was about three years old, was the Southern Baptist Church. Um, so I was raised in Southern Baptist Church, pastored in Southern Baptist churches all the way up through about 2009-ish, and then um, had a job uh, and unknowing career change, and ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, in about 2011, and so I've served on two two church staffs bivocationally vocationally here, and uh, we still live in the Nashville area, though I'm not serving on a staff currently. Uh, my educational background, <clears throat> it barely warrants even the word pedigree, unless you're talking about like the dog food. I went to this little bitty school uh, outside of Atlanta. It is accredited, but it's not like you're not going to ever recognize the name, so I won't even mention it. So I graduated from there with a bachelor's degree. It took me 29 and a half years to get my bachelor's degree. <laughs> in my own defense, that wasn't like I was taking a class every semester. Okay, I, there was a whole lot of breaks in there. Uh, but anyway, I did finish finally. And then I got a master's degree from the university that uh, shall not be named Uh, but it's not a theology degree. It's a business degree. Yeah. So in 2000, Todd and I actually never met in person. We didn't grow up together, didn't know each other from ministry. We met in a, uh, I guess they called it a forum back then, the Younger Leaders Forum. So Jimmy Draper had started this initiative in the SBC to try to save all the younger leaders from leaving. And Todd and I, in our forties, I guess, uh, were the younger leaders. (laughs) and so we got uh connected on this message board and uh as a result of that we i don't know if you already had your blog but i started a blog you started a blog in that time period anyway and so we knew each other through that uh as well as some other guys and so we've maintained the friendship and uh, on and off different things that we've engaged online since 2004 ish i guess uh and up uh, until today
0: so in 2004 there was there were worries about younger folks leaving the SBC? Well,
1: I guess it was the the worries started before, but Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, but the 2004 convention in Indianapolis, both Draper and Morris Chapman addressed the issue of the SBC needing to keep younger people. Uh, And Jimmy had talked to, I think it was Chris C. I can't remember for sure. Anyway, he'd had a conversation with a younger person who had expressed concerns and frustrations and things to do with the machinations of the convention and how hard it was to get involved in those kinds of things. So it was kind of a, let's listen to it. I don't think it was perceived by most as a theological thing. I perceived it as kind of a theological thing, orthopraxy, especially related to ecclesiology. But anyway, that's what that was about. So after that Draper, who was president of Lifeway at the time, started the forum where Todd and I got engaged. Does that sound about right, Todd? Yeah,
2: that, 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 I think that's, I think it's accurate. I think probably, um, uh, one of our our denominational leaders had uh, uh, had a line that uh, uh, we preached out our uh, what was it our our most creative, I think it was. Yeah, and I think that was a, actually a reference to the um, course that Rick Warren took, uh, mm. uh, and that uh, all the you know questions about purpose-driven church and that particular pragmatic view of of ecclesiology and church structure and then there was fear that we were going to continue to uh, narrow the band and and so i think at the same time that chris or whoever it was had a conversation with uh Chapman or Draper, that that's kind of solidified. What can we do to keep young people, young, young ministers engaged? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so somewhere in there, I think each of you, uh, maybe it was a bit before that or a bit after that, but somewhere in there, each of you sort of found yourself moving or you, you found your political commitments kind of shifting to what some might call in some respects more, I guess, progressive views, particularly, particularly with respect to like economic policy. Um, oh, you, me? you, you would call Mercy it, knows, not then. <laughs> oh, okay. So, how, so when did that happen? When did that, when did that happen?
1: Um, so to be clear, I still consider myself, uh, theologically I'm very conservative. Um, I am sure. like verbal inspiration, plenary inspiration, inerrancy infallibility. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not prepared to engage a long conversation about the nuances of all those words, but I consider, I mean, I am, I don't question God's word at all. I don't preach sermons about the mistakes that Paul made and all this kind of weird stuff. That's just, you know, I have very core uh, beliefs about scripture that have never changed ever. And I, I, you know, I don't think they're going to at this point. So, um, so that was, that didn't have anything to do with it for me back in that era Uh, what I did know in that era was as Todd mentioned a lot of my younger pastor friends were expressing deep concerns and Todd uh, the creativity was the thing for a lot of these guys so it wasn't just the Rick Warren it was the more uh, creative aspects of worship bringing in drama uh, bands those kinds of things it was a very ministry style uh, type of an argument and so uh, younger guys were getting very frustrated because at these like state evangelism conferences, uh, guys would get up and preach against people who sat on stools when they were preaching or who wore loud shirts or who didn't wear a tie and all these silly things were being preached against. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even kidding. Uh, all these things were being preached against at like statewide evangelism things. And so younger guys were like, what am I supposed to do? I don't wear a tie. You know, what if I do want to sit on a stool one Sunday? So all these, they were juggling all these things. So in the mix of that, uh, and so I'll say, and Todd, you can, you can deny this or back me up on this, but I don't really think any of us at this point were even thinking about the world of secular politics. Is that, is that accurate? Um, yeah, I,
2: I really think that only in the context really of where maybe um, these issues started to emerge. So, in in two thousand, a friend of mine uh, went to college and seminary with said, "Hey, I'm looking for a, a pastor's conference to go to. I want to go to something different. I'm kind of tired of, of the same old shtick we hear because we hear the same guys year in and year out. It is just a cycle. It's just tiring. I mean, listen, I've heard one. I heard one Baptist uh, leader uh, in my lifetime speak at a number of different venues. I heard the same sermon." more than a half a dozen times wow. in different venues. And it's just, it's like, I mean, after a while, so, so Jeff uh, said, Hey, I found this uh, national pastors convention in San Diego. It's February. Let's take our golf clubs and let's go <laughs> to a pastor's conference in San Diego. Well, this, this flyover boy had never been to San Diego. So it's like, let's do it. So we loaded up the golf clubs and we went and And they had a little pastor's golf tournament the day before. And, and now we get in this big hall. And I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds. I don't know how many, but there, there are just is massive big old banquet hall at town and country um, in, in San Diego. And they have the screens rolling, you know, conference screens rolling and announcements and stuff. And they tell, they have jokes on the screen and Baptists are the brunt of the jokes. <laughs> now listen, I've never been to a conference outside of being at a Baptist conference, and I'm sitting here a little uncomfortable going like, I wonder if people can tell. <laughs> would, 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 would they ask me if this is true? And the truth is, is it, it was all funny. I mean, it's 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 just the reverse of, you know, making a crack on a Methodist or a Presbyterian or, you know, whomever. But it was it was like, wait a minute what's going on here? Nobody makes fun of us. What, what, what is this about? So in that, in that I, heard, I heard some speakers that were fresh, they, they were creative in their communication, they were skilled communicators, and they opened up the scriptures from a perspective that, that uh, um, it, it was, I don't know, new to me, but it, it was, there were some things I just like, I never thought about that. And so, for me, it was like, "Wait a minute, we should be listening to each other instead of excluding each other and And so at that particular moment, it was like, "Wow, um I need to get out more and uh, And so that that started a, a journey for me that by the time the uh, young leader thing happened i had I had thought, well, maybe I can." I can be that voice from the others into this young leader group to say, we probably should be more open to diversity, whether it's uh, creativity, ecclesiology. Um, and and I, I'm, I don't mean this um, uh, in, in terms of pursuing uh, um, a lack of orthodoxy. We make mistakes by thinking that we're the only orthodox people on the planet, yeah, <laughs> and so hearing hearing a, a passage read with with a different lens, different eyes, um, with some different reading of uh, historical background material and, and and cultural distinctives that I was unfamiliar with was really really healthy and really really good. And and when that opened up, it was like. I wonder what else we've been kind of too narrow in when we start thinking about how we live out our faith in the world. And that at that moment, then um, everything was on the table, politics, economics, um, you know th- those sorts of things for
1: me.
0: Marty, what about you?
1: So that shift for me or a shift for me in the on the more uh, pol- political public life side. Would have started when I was a pastor at my last church that I was lead pastor of Uh, when I I think this is accurate. There were two. There was there was a a personal issue and then there was a pastoral issue. I was preaching through the minor prophets. And so um, on the personal side of things, I got to walk through someone through a, a trial. Like an actual trial, like a courthouse trial, not like a, a bad time in their life. It was a bad time in their life, but it was actually related to the court. Uh, so I got to walk with someone through their arrest, their trial, and their sentencing. And I knew because of what I knew about the case that, that this, this, the case was going sideways against him because he had ineffective counsel. And I was sitting in the in the cheap seats and I was thinking to myself, dude, I would do for free better than what you're paying this guy thousands of dollars to represent you. I knew how the district attorney had lied to the press to get stuff planted in the newspapers. I mean, there were all these things that I knew. I, I witnessed or had like immediate secondhand information on them. <clears throat> and so as a result of that, my lifelong faith in the American justice system began to shake a little bit. Uh, I, I, I saw it firsthand. Well, then I started like reading some other stuff and I was like, man, there's just some stuff that doesn't add up on the, the justice system side of things. I've always been taught Romans 13. You obey the courts, you, you know, you pray and blah, 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 and you just live right. And things are going to, you know, you won't wind up in jail. Well, I found out firsthand that you cannot, that doesn't even have to be an issue and you can still wind up in jail. And then I, I started preaching through the minor prophets. So these things were intertwined in time and I could not escape the emphasis on justice. And so I began to study and found that as, as Todd, uh, his brother's a friend, his, his brother, who is also a friend of his, is a friend of mine. Um, and we've had this discussion that justice and righteousness are the same root word in the, in the scriptures. And so when I started, that's the lens then that really started to open my thinking. And Todd, at the time you went to Sacramento or wherever you just said, San Diego, um, I was taking conference classes that were built out as doctoral uh, breakouts or whatever you call it, modules. So uh, one of the sem- not one of the Southern Baptist seminaries, but another seminary was doing doctoral modules as conferences, And so if you were a doctoral student, you went and it was your module and you had work assigned to you. If you wanted to come as an outside attender, you just paid your money and showed up and you could take all the same material. You just didn't have to do homework. I think this is how they were paying for the doctoral students. But anyway, I too was exposed to other uh, Christians with different than Southern Baptist thinking. So all these things came together as I was studying the minor prophets and seeing God's emphasis on justice. And I, at this point, I still wasn't listening to black pastors and black Christians and black people's stories or reading black theologians. None of that stuff was taking place in my life. This was just a result of this personal situation that, that led me to see the scriptures and understand justice as I was preaching through the, the, minor, the minor prophets. And then the political stuff didn't even take any political views that have changed for me in any direction didn't even start then. I don't think, other than maybe just understanding like local politics and stuff like that, but certainly nothing on a national scale.
0: So when did that start for you? Uh,
1: Sometime after that. uh, I don't really know. Uh, Honestly, at some point, I just so I was I mean, I was a lifelong conservative uh, politically as well. Had always voted for Republicans, had never, you know, never voted for nobody. that wasn't a Republican. I uh, had numerous times voted straight ticket, best of my memory serves, uh, from you know Reagan's second term up until, I guess, Bush's second term, all Republicans. And so at some point, it just became this is just two sides of the same coin. Yeah, there are some differences in policy that are that are important. But when it comes to leading the country, it's about a power play. It's who can st- who can get in charge, who can stay in charge, uh, who can you know, funnel money to their, to their supporters who can, you know, the debt doesn't matter money, you know, all this stuff. And so it just, I I don't want to say I was disillusioned. I think more uh, that I just came to a realization that politics was not the answer. And so for several election cycles, presidential election cycles, anyway, I voted third party, made no bones about it. Uh, I I just was trying to do anything that I could to break up the duopoly. Uh, And as in that process, because I was no longer, swearing an allegiance to a party, I was able to evaluate the policies, I think, with a, with a little bit clearer head. And so as a result of the emphasis on justice, and there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about the, these six things the Lord hates. One is hands that shed innocent blood, and one is a lying tongue. And I'm like, well, wait a minute now. You know, if, if God is not like major league emphasizing one of these things over the other, and something that we we would consider like hugely significant, which is hands that shed innocent blood. And one that we would not consider that hugely significant, which is a lying tongue. God considers both of them to be abominations. And so I had to pull back and think there's an awful lot of lying going on here. And there's an awful lot of ways that innocent blood is shed, you know, from uh, capital punishment that's ill, ill carried out. Uh, and that was another thing that, that stirred me was the, the amount of, uh, wrongful convictions and people sent to the electric chair or the gas chamber and the probability that they were innocent. So that began to factor into my thinking as well. So uh, those things began to drive me into what people commonly call uh, politically homeless. Uh, The difference with me is I'm not looking for political home anymore. I'm very comfortable being astride of these things and just doing what I think God wants me to do in a given situation.
2: Let me let me piggyback if it's okay. Um, oh yeah. If 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 we take what Marty described, there is a SBC parallel. So, the politics of of the, the denominational politics actually, in my uh, in in retrospect, for me, parallel GOP politics. Uh, so, um, when I went to Oklahoma Baptist University about a year or two before, about the same time that the plotters of the, whatever we want to call it, conservative resurgence, takeover, whatever, whatever, whoever's sitting in the narrative uh, seat to tell their particular perspective. Uh, So this is late late, uh, 70s. uh, Some young guys got together who were students at OBU, and wrote what's called the heresy paper. And they distributed it on the chair of every messenger seat at the state convention in Oklahoma. As a freshman, I got a copy of that and read it. And I happened to go to a very fundamentalist Baptist, Southern Baptist church. So, um, you know, now you're you're supposed to go to a, a university with, you know, one eye towards skepticism, and and then I encountered a couple of those professors that were in that list, and I'm like, I I think these folks have been misunderstood. Hmm. Um, I I think that I think maybe they said some things, but I think since everybody's ear has now been attuned to see how critical they can be of anything that's said, they're gonna find anything they want to hear. And and so that's the kind of the climate. And and then it was actually one of the reasons. The uh, alt, uh, another reason why I didn't just immediately go to Southwestern Seminary and went to Criswell. Uh It was like, man, I don't know. Uh, that old those SBC schools, they're just so liberal, you know. And so when I when I moved um, and found a little church to be involved in, and then eventually served on staff with the pastor became my mentor, and, and to this day, um, we talk fairly, you know regular. And, and he had some denominational experiences that coincided in that time while I was in college and we began to talk about them. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. This stuff didn't, this stuff didn't go on. So all the scandals about, about uh, reserving rooms in the name of uh, uh, crystal students uh, so we could pack coliseums and get our vote out. And it pretty soon became more of a, again, a pursuit of power And so when when I finished my uh, d men in 93, um, I was still in the Texas area. And in 94 is when they fired Russell Dilday from Southwestern Seminary, where in the same sort of, you know, kind of a hostile takeover, uh, you know, the board locks him out of his office, police escorts him out of the building and you're like, wait a minute, this is like a scene from, from the movies. Like what, like, what did he do? Like, did, did, did they find that he, did they find some bodies below Scarborough hall? Or you, what, where, like what in the world? Uh, You know? And, and, uh, and so you you start listening to the rhetoric that came out of all of that. And of course, admittedly, this is post CBF uh, split off spinoff. And so the, the tensions are heightened and this just it, over time, and I think to this day we're still seeing that really what was at work was power plays, power moves that, you know, endeared people to others so that they could kind of get seats of power and frankly make a, a, a lot of money, uh, grifting uh, SBC blue hairs, and um, I think I think that would be hard to disprove. Um, although I don't have the facts, I mean you 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 just read the you know what's been happening and, and that appears to be the thing so so to the parallel marty at the same time you know he, he's you know we're making the discoveries about a politics really being uh two sides of the same coin that is parties being two sides of the same coin and saying you both are kind of you know, got it wrong in 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 the sudden Baptist life it's like i've been told this story all of my life and then i find out that these guys were doing you know listen a a particular a particular high-profile <clears throat> denominational leader, who who had at one time a failed attempt to be become the president of the SBC, earlier on in his life, you know, was having a, a clandestine meeting at a particular location, uh, and it was charting a way to to take over power of a state convention. And I'm like, I've met some of these guys on the other side. That they're uh, allegedly on the other side, and if we're talking morality, nice, they have virtuous people. I I don't hear them being the snakes that they're described to be. I don't find them to be wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, and and probably a solidifying event was in 1995 six. I was elected to serve on the general council of the Baptist World Alliance representing the Southern Baptist Convention. And and I, I met Baptists all over the world. And I frankly, those leaders I knew from the SBC were were trying to run roughshod over over the BWA. And eventually when when they wouldn't kowtow to particular high profile leaders, those leaders led us away from the Baptist World Alliance. We withdrew funding, which was significant funding. And so I I just think that, that, that the SBC's p- political situation has mirrored the culture warring GOP that we see to this day.
0: Oh sure. I mean there's a kind of there's a kind of feedback loop there mm-hmm. where certain things are I mean it's it's sort of stunning the way that now you know as of twenty twenty one in certain circles in the SBC, it's clear that there's not even a sense that it's possible to be a theological conservative without being a political conservative. There's no daylight there at all for some people, which is just bizarre.
1: Yeah, that's I think that's definitely a a fruit of how these movements came about. Uh, Then you throw the moral majority in there, which is an explicit attempt to connect Conservative theology with conservative politics. Um, I'm I was a little more detached from the CR than Todd. He was actually pastoring and he was kind of in all of that. I was kind of a bystander, church member watching a lot of that happen until my first pastorate, which was in eighty nine or ninety, something like that. <clears throat> so I think my very first Southern Baptist Convention was nineteen ninety. Well, things had already been rocking and rolling for a while since then, and so I didn't d- detect the uh, conservative theology, uh, conservative politics as tightly as Todd might've caught it at the time. But later on, surely, uh, well, I I say that this same leader that Todd was talking about, I had the opportunity to visit his home. And um, in the midst of uh, gawking at certain things uh, that were hanging on a particular wall in this house was the uh, mention almost in passing that he had hosted a meeting of donors for a certain GOP presidential candidate in the primary of that particular year. It still didn't dawn on me because I was a Republican, or at least considered myself one. I never like signed a card, but I considered myself a Republican, so it never I didn't. Have, I didn't think a thing about it until many years later. The connection there was was beginning to be drawn, but. When the moral majority came along, followed by the Christian coalition, you had voter cards that come to churches with issues that are all out of the Republican Party playbook. You know, every every issue is lined up as a Republican versus Democrat. And if you're in a conservative church, the Republican position is the biblical position. Uh, You know, low taxes is a biblical position, according to the Republicans. And so that's the one that's on the card. So for me, that was when a lot of that marriage began to manifest itself as I looked back Um, But for most people that were involved, I don't think that they connected that the politics was related to the theology. Uh, Now, that's a that's a terrible breakdown in missiology and practice and a thousand other things. But most people did not. They viewed voting conservatively as the logical and natural extension of being a theological conservative. Uh, and there just wasn't any question. And of course, we're talking about white evangelical Southern Baptist churches. We're not talking about African American churches or most, you know Latino based you know type churches or any uh, majority churches, I should say, or Asian American majority churches. Not talking about any of that from my perspective. I'm talking about the white churches that I was a member of. So that's kind of where I was through all that. And.
0: Fast forward to the last few years in the SBC and what is going on with, say, the the sort of conservative Baptist network, founders type side of things. The folks in the conservative Baptist network do not like Calvinists. The founders people are Calvinists. They're sort of teaming up to get rid of the quote unquote liberals who are in fact non-existent in, in, in the SBC well you have so, to you yeah. have
1: to redefine liberalism every couple of years to get your you know to keep your enemy in focus
2: well sure. it, it's, it's a great question um, and so since since he's was deemed a liberal nobody nobody pays attention to him but he's terribly prophetic and that was Bill J Leonard who wrote God's last and only hope in 1991. And the conclusion he drew of the up till then situation in SBC life was because the big question has always been. In fact, I got a phone call the other day from a friend, mutual friend of Marty and I's. and like, so is this the year the SBC splits? And I'm like, no, Bill J. Leonard was right. The SBC will never split. It will it will splinter into oblivion. Now the oblivion bit was my is my description, but. That's what Bill J. Leonard concluded in that little book written 20 years. Well, golly, what's that? 30, 30, 30 years ago.
1: You're and old, dude.
2: I know. I know. It, anyway. <laughs> um, and, and I think, and what happens is the, the nature and, and you know, Scott, you political uh, philosophy, guy. fundamentalism or, or extremism has always got to have a, 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 uh, a foil or, or, or an other or 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 they've got to have an enemy. And, and when you no longer have an enemy, you got to create one because you have built your uh, motivation, your adrenaline rush on battling an enemy. And so when you look around and you no longer have enemies, now you start you start looking, and go, oh, well, you know, they're not enough. Conservative enough. I mean, I, I've got. A, we we have another mutual friend who who I've gone back and forth. Who who went to um, Southern uh, a little before I would have gone to Southwestern, and he's just adamant that there were, were were some liberals at Southern. And I still, I still don't think that in terms of what we are talking about liberals that that's the case. Uh, I, I I just don't. I've I've met and had conversations with real live, you know, people who uh, own their <laughs> theological liberals. And I've never met anyone like that in the SBC in, in all my life. And so, uh, so what seems to be happening is, is, is we're, 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 we're running out of energy. Uh, we're running out, we're, we're running out of those to, to war and, and, and we're ty- we're bored. We're bored. We need an enemy. And so we have to create enemies of our brothers and sisters. And, and so th- this is, uh, I mean, Bill, I think as a, as a Baptist historian, as, 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 a, as a Christian historian, uh, I, I think Leonard is, was prescient. I, I think he was, you know, prophetic in that sense. And I think he's really just drawing on the realities that we're always going to look to find someone that we need to be against. And I, I, you know, call that, um, you know, the, the remnant of the old man or uh, carnality. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what you want to call it, because then we get into an us them thing that I'm not really interested in. But I think in a descriptive mode, you just have to say, you know, um, I don't know if Marty's ever heard. It. There's an old joke uh, about two Baptists who meet on a bridge. And, and as they go down their history of what particular branch of the Baptist tree they're part of, I mean, they're down the line, 10, 12 deep until the last one where one says, no, I'm this. And the other guy just, you know, kicks him off the bridge. I mean, I mean, I mean, they are down the line on, on say 11 out of 12 things, but that's that 12 thing that you deserve to be, you know, thrown off the bridge and, and, and it's odd that that's, that that's where we are. But I think that's where we've come to. And then, and I know Mari's got some things to add. The second, the second piece of that is, is the, the group that now has assumed the mantle is just not very good at it. They're They're, ju- they're just not very good at it. The one thing you can give the former... Uh, older older guys in a in a in a uh, non internet non social media world they knew how to work the medium and they knew how to whistle stop tour uh, they knew how to they knew how to use old technologies and um, the, the, the the new guys they're not any good at it they're they're not any good at at modern technologies and and thankfully to us they're not good at it. Because then, it, then, it, then we get to actually see the insidiousness of their anti-Christian activities, which are really intended to divide. Uh, so I'll, I'll, that probably will get you at least a click or two.
1: <laughs> I think uh, there there seems to be going back to the groups that you mentioned and the the motivation I, There seems to be this idea that earnestly contending for the faith is the only verse in the entire New Testament. <laughs> And so when that's when that is your primary thing that you have to protect the gospel as if the gospel needs my protection. uh, When that becomes your primary thing, you do not have you don't have any option except to be on the offensive all of the time because it's always somebody who's a threat. It's always something. It's the current event section at your local bookstore.
2: It's the Cold War.
1: Yes. X is destroying America. Read this to find out how why is destroying America. You know, this dawned on me years ago. I went to the current events section because I like to read on current. I was like, we're never going to survive. If all of these books are accurate, we're we're toast (laughs) now. Why should I even spend my money on these books? We're never going to recover. Well, the next political season, it was a whole different slate of things that are going to destroy America. Well, right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, CRT is the threat to the gospel. CRT is not a threat to the gospel. The gospel is enduring and everlasting and eternal, and it is fixed on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anybody who thinks that there's a threat to the gospel doesn't believe the gospel. That's, I mean, that's just the bottom line. You can't claim that God is immutable and can't be removed from his throne, while at the same time, every little thing that happens is a threat to him. It's just so silly. The other thing that I would add to what Todd said about not being good, Is that is one of the things we found out back in the day when blogs were just coming on the scene and he and I were uh, were writing uh, pretty prolifically on on our blogs and the powers that were uh, didn't have a didn't have a box that they could put that in. They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know how to go back at us. They didn't know how to work that system. And social media is now the new one of those. And so you've got people that are trying to use social media, but they're not as gifted at it as others. So for instance, you had just this week, a pastor in Texas going after a young seminary student who happens to be a female with some really belligerent type questions that he was totally out of line in asking, uh, not as her pastor, as her accountability partner, as her father, her uncle, or her granddad, uh, trying to call her out on Twitter. And I mean, within a skinny minute, she had filleted him. And and then went on, I think, to write a a blog post uh, that further, you know, just eviscerated the guy, which he deserved. I mean, what he did was was really dumb. But he
2: didn't he's not even aware
1: of it. No, he's not. No, he's not. It's or if he is, he doesn't care. I don't know which it is and it doesn't really matter. Uh, But that's the the point Todd was making is they're just not good. Well, now they're some of some of these folks that you've mentioned, the groups are promoting. A, quote, corpus of literature, a corpus of literature, that being some books that are being written by members of their their groups um, that that purport to take on uh, critical race theory, critical theory. You know, I don't know what all else. Uh, Black Lives Matter. um, Half the Christians in America. I mean, it's just it's just one thing after another. They're poorly written. They're poorly reasoned. They use limited sourcing. Uh, Some uh, one I've read doesn't even understand what he's writing about. I mean, it's so terribly sad. But what's even more sad is that this is basically choir music. This is for the choir that they're writing for. Mm -hmm. And they will sing these songs. Mm -hmm. And they do not even understand what's being done. I've asked, I can't tell you how many people. So when did you study CRT? Which of the texts did you have the most problems with? What really helped you decide that this was not compatible with the gospel? Every If they respond at all, and most of them just ghost me after that. But if they respond at all, it's, well, I heard a sermon by, or I heard a podcast by, and they're listening to the critics who don't understand it themselves. And so it's just going to get, I think it's just going to get worse and worse. I don't know what the end, the end of it's going to be, but I, I don't see that it's going to change for the better.
2: Well, that's where we need guys like Scott. I agree. Mean, really, on it. Honestly, that's where we need guys like Scott. Um, he should get a Twitter account. I mean, he, he should. He should get a podcast, and <laughs> he should write a, a public, uh, you know, a, a lay accessible book on the subject. Here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When, when, um, when we opted for pragmatism as a as a Christian denomination. We jettisoned critical thinking just with, I mean, without so much as a twitch. And, and so what's, what's wildly just disturbing is that um, claims of education sans the basic skills at logic is an embarrassment to the wider world. So while we're over here battling one another with the worst logic imaginable, everybody else is looking at us going like, what a lodge of fools. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, Marty, when you were talking about um, the gospel, we don't need to defend the gospel. Uh, listen, Paul in Philippians is responding to some concern about some grifter preachers. And Paul says, God's going to take care of their grift. They're getting the gospel out there. So just let me have my way. And, <laughs> and it's like, and, and, and so why, why uh, we have to have uh, some arm of our denomination that's always defending against something just is a lack of faith. It is a lack of faith that God God can do what he's done for two millennia uh, and so
1: there it's is frust- there is that sense. one of you I forget which one of you mentioned fundamentalism and legalism or whatever there is this function of fundamentalism yep. that requires ever purer doctrine oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> this goes to your bridge illustration and so and the problem is, that the people who are in fundamentalism view this as pursuing the word, rightly dividing the word. It's the love for the word that brings them to this. And they just want to make sure that they're right at the core. That is, in my view, an honest ambition. That is an honest and a pure and a holy desire. The problem becomes that our relationship with Christ is just that it's a relationship and relationships are different than, Uh, than statements. Now, I'm not against the statements in the Bible. I love every single one of them. Your commandments are like honey in my lips. Uh, I have no problem with the statements in the Bible. The problem then becomes is that we're not infallible. We're not inerrant. Our interpretations are not. John Calvin was not inerrant. Neither was Martin Luther or any of the rest of the ones that we hold up in such high esteem. And we find ourselves in this situation where we're trying to sliver down what's A and what's B here, what's A and what's B here, what's A and what's B here. And at every single turn, the person that's at the B or the person that's at the A becomes the one that's the problem, whether it's a liberal or a heretic or whatever. Uh, So there's actual heresy and then there's imagined heresy. And we have an awful lot of imagined heresy going around.
0: Yeah, so I think... um...
1: Speaking of imagined heretics, here's Scott (laughs) Covey.
0: So, yeah, I think I think this sort of ambient fundamentalist threat serves a particular kind of function, which is to silence people, particularly like seminary faculty, but pastors as well, for fear that they might get labeled a liberal. Right. Uh, and or a CRT
1: lover, as I was called. Sure. last week.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't even, it's like, I don't even know what, what to say about that. <laughs> like, serious, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. So I think it, it, you know, I, I get messages from people all the time. Like, you know, I, I can't, you know, thank you for saying this or that. Cause I, you know, I can't. Right. And so what, what it does is it ensures that certain kinds of really shaky uh, views like right so for example um this notion that just as a matter of necessity like women belong at home right this this really kind of extreme version of like complementary complementarianism right there's there's a reluctance to stand up against that and at the same time you've got people defending that view who are actually promoting heresy right about the trinity but that i get that that heresy is permitted because it's it's yeah i mean it's it's well for reasons I don't fully understand well,
2: uh, it, yeah yeah it's it, you you hit on it i mean i this is part of the command and control of the narrative and its intended effect so you get um you get uh messages all the time i I've got a young friend um who uh, grew up uh, a Baptist. Dad was a Baptist pastor. And in terms of a lot of his um, formation is, is, is still Baptist, though I don't think he could ever, you know, be included in that group anymore. And he would say some things like what you're saying, and he would get emails too. And he would be viewed on, you know, Quite a, quite a ways left of the three of us. But he gets the same thing out there saying, man, I'm glad you're saying this because I can't. So so the silence is real. And you've made two important points, I think. Well, you always make important points. But in this conversation, there are, Just two, two. Points, there are two points in that that I think are worth uh, drawing out. And one is the silencing of seminary professors and pastors and then two, the silencing of groups we need to listen to. So you get the silencing of pastors and seminary professors, um, where I literally ha- have had a, uh, a former member uh, assess that I'm I'm a, a problem, and texted uh, church members to try to persuade them that they should leave my church. Wow. Um, and, and I tried having a conversation with this person and, and, and there was none of it. I, everything about me was wrong and negating a long history of friendship. And on my part, advocacy that the person will never know about. Yeah. because they I'll never listen to this podcast too. <laughs> um, and, 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 and um, And so this happens regularly because um, you're a liberal. Listen, uh, unbelievably, uh, I would guess 90%, I would say 95% of those in the congregation I pastor are are, uh, God-loving Republicans. I'm a registered Republican. But because we talk about things uh, that that are uh, extensions of the gospel and the impact on race and economics and women, the perception by some in that same group are that the majority of our church are Democrats. It, 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 it's mind-blowing. It's, it, it's mind-blowing. Uh, and, and, but now you have a conversation with those folks and they go, Oh, okay. I, I get that. I see that. But the, but the, but the general perception that they're picking up from media and conversations and that sort of thing are that, you know, your pastor is about to walk off the deep end. Um, the, the second point where, where we're silencing the people we need to listen to women, people of color, the poor, those, those who, um, uh, I- immigrants, those that show up most often in the words of the prophets that we need to listen to what's going on and be challenged and criticized by the fact that they've been neglected and not heard. Now we get lumped into thinking, um, about, uh, uh, well, we can't take in context because that's CRT, Yeah, which, which, which is totally unbelievable. But those two things are happening, silencing, Silencing pastors and seminary professors and silencing the people we need to hear from.
1: I want I won't, I won't anybody, so anybody who hears this, I, I, I'm going to issue a challenge to the entire world. If you can find me someone who is able to give an opinion, whether the theological, political, personal, or any other type of opinion that is outside of their standpoint, I want to know who it is because this whole idea of standpoint epistemology I don't even know how to say that word, standpoint whatever, philosophy, that somehow or another it is wrong to give a view because it's just your standpoint is silly. It's impossible to give viewpoints without it coming out of how you've been affected in your life. Anybody, whether it's the president of the United States or somebody sleeping on Skid Row tonight in Los Angeles, is simply not possible. So if you can find me one person... Anywhere in the world, Scott Coley will give you $20. <laughs> I, I 20.
0: agree to that. I agree to that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the silliest thing ever.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's because th- there's this caricature out there that somehow acknowledging that, that uh, we're all perceiving things from a particular standpoint is, is somehow to deny that there's such a thing as objective truth, which is, right. which yeah. is utter, utter nonsense.
1: That, that is so bad. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it denies incarnation. I mean, I mean, it just,
2: it just denies incarnation. It makes Jesus, uh, it, it makes it easy to appropriate Jesus to majority culture mm. because I, I can ignore that he was a homeless wandering Jew in Palestine under a Roman empire. And those things had absolutely
0: no effect on Jesus whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, uh, well, one of the many funny things is that the folks promote these ideas, you know, about, you know, as you say, right, sort of denying the importance of incarnation and so on. They accuse others of, of Gnosticism, (laughs) right, right? It's (laughs) just projection, right? Right. I mean, like they're ticking so many of the authoritarian boxes, right? I mean, just the, the, the the projection it's constant.
2: Yeah. They need, they need a good couch and a psychotherapist.
0: (laughs) That's a, that's a, that's a good uh, perspective perhaps to, uh, to end on (laughs) <laughs> yeah well thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk with me well, thank you thank you scott for the invitation absolutely and i really appreciate everything y'all have done uh over the last few years to to help me along yep. uh, you're,
2: you're you're welcome uh, you're uh, a worth investment
0: yeah no kidding wild
2: investment